de Welcome to Cotton Langer, the podcast about constructed languages and people who create them. I'm George Corley. Uh, with me up in Maine, we have Mike Lentine. Hello. And uh, over in, in and down in your Skype says Chicago, right? Yeah. We have Martin Posthumus. Hi there. And we have <clears throat> Martin on for a very specific reason, uh, and that is. Well, a couple of reasons. First, we don't have uh, David J. Peterson right now, but uh, we brought Martin on as a guest because we're going to talk about one of his languages, uh, Alashian, which you just recently got into sort of a, a completed form, I guess? Um, yeah, I'd say something like that. I've been publishing parts of it as online as they've been ready, but I sort of don't really try promoting it until I feel like the entire thing is in a more or less complete state. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, can you just sort of talk to us a little bit about um, how you got into conlanging and uh, in general, and then also explain a little bit of the idea, idea be- behind uh, your conlang that we're featuring, which is Alashian. Um, yeah, sure. I've actually been interested in languages for pretty much as long as I can remember. Even back in elementary school, for whatever reason, I was had a hobby of what was it? Collecting alphabets. I had <laughs> I had two binders full of all sorts of different alphabets that I'd collected when I was really young. And mm-hmm. uh, eventually, when I found some of the online communities, more I guess toward, in middle school, I got a lot more interested in the actual linguistics side of side of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a lot of the same sort of stuff that many others do when I got started, just sort of creating, uh, creating languages essentially on a whim, just whatever seemed, seemed interesting to me at the time. I was never really that into fantasy. I was mm-hmm. essentially tried to do a bit more realistic type world, although that's, I guess that's kind of when you're dealing with like, humans on another world it's there's only so realistic that can actually be but um then once i i guess really in high school i got much more interested in naturalistic uh real world type languages that were actually tied into the actual history of human history on earth and the idea it was essentially just maybe tweaking some little event in history trying not to change too much but just some way to introduce a new a new language in an actual historical environment that had is derived from historical languages that was influenced by other real languages in its environment and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Al- is the second um, extensive project that I've done in this vein. The first being Novogradian, which was a Slavic language. Yeah. Um, we featured uh Novogradian a-, a while back in, uh, uh, and when I, uh, looking at your site, it looks like you had, you had Novogradian was, was the first one that was, that was really sort of complete. And, um, we did that one. Um, 
And then there's Alashian now. It looks like you also have a few other projects too that are sort of ongoing. Yeah. Um, Novogranian was Slavic. Alashian is a uh, Semitic language. And there's one other that I've been, that I've been working on, but is still very far from complete. It's called Ochets, which is essentially intended to be a Yeniseian language. Mm hmm. Um, Yeniseian, uh, tell me what, what's, what's Yeniseian? Uh, it's most famous for Ket. It's, uh, oh, okay. Yeah. A very minor language, language family now in central Siberia that recently became somewhat famous for the, uh, proposal that it is, ha- may have a genetic relationship with the, uh, Nadine languages of North America. Yeah. Okay. Um, now I understand, but Alashian is Semitic and, uh, from what I understand, like, so just to, to make things clear for listeners, I, I know you already explained this, but, uh, your languages are generally, uh, set in the real world. So Novogradian, Novogradian was set, it's, they're, they're like alternate history languages or, the Altlangs. Um, so Novogradian was in the Republic of Novograd, which at one time was a real place, but you sort of posited what would happen if that place, that, um, if the Republic of Novograd still existed today and what the language would look like. Yeah. Um, in the case of Alashian, that's actually a reference to the term Alashia was found in a number of ancient texts um, from the Middle East. I think like there were some like Hittites, some Babylonians, some Egyptian texts that referred to this place just known as Alashia. Mm-hmm. And it's now understood that generally believed to have been some somewhere on Cyprus, either the island itself or somewhere on the island. And I basically just decided to take that and run with it and posit a Semitic people that actually were behind that mm-hmm. name. Oh, mm-hmm. so the, the, like, so, and so thus you put Alashian, a Semitic language on Cyprus and posit them like you did with no- Novograd, posit them still existing to the present day or to a certain yeah, to the present day. Okay. Um, uh, I want, well, um, one thing I want to ask you, so the, it's Semitic. Do you, do you derive it all the way from proto-Semitic or did you, um, pull it through from, is it descended from like some, some form of Arabic or what? It's Northwest Semitic, which would make it, I guess, essentially a sister language to languages like, uh, Phoenician, Hebrew, Aramaic. So okay. it wasn't derived all the way from proto-Semitic, but from, and I guess proto Northwest Semitic, you could say. Okay. I probably should, uh, spend more time actually reading the background on the language myself instead of asking <laughs> questions like that. But it's, it's important for us to, um, uh, one thing I really love about your, your grammars is because you're setting these, uh, in the real world. And you write them very much like this is a real language. Um, talking about you, you develop the whole history of this place and have all this stuff. And there's things that are, there are like uncertainties in the grammar. There are things of, um, this is, this, this is the most common. This is, this is a little bit less common that kind of, 
uh, stuff, that kind of language that you use in your grammar to make it just, just gives it that much more verisimilitude. Yeah, I mean, that's the sort of thing I'm after. I try to make it look essentially like it could be a real world language. Um, I don't know. Mike, you said you had a bunch of, uh, a few things that you had been looking at in the grammar before the show. Would, would you, do you want to, um, bring some of those up and maybe ask Martin about them or? Yeah, well, I'm um, actually, I guess I, I kind of, uh, I looked, through, I was looking through the grammar and it's just, it's, it's fantastic. I really, really, I, it's great. Um, such, you know, I, I don't, I have a lot of experience with Semitic languages, so even just in the mechanics of it, um, I it looks very you know very naturalistic. Um, you know, I was reading through, starting with the forward and ta- and reading even into the, the background of writing and why writing is the way it is, and I think that's a lot of ri- there's a lot of richness there. That a lot of people, um, well, that I haven't seen in a lot of uh, com lines, which maybe says more about uh, me needing to read more com lines, but it's just it's very nice <clears throat> to. Mm-hmm. To get that extra um, flavor in there, and not just be have it taken for granted. Yeah, and on the on on the writing, there's a native script, right? And then there's the Greek, um, the like the Greek script, which is what they are meant to be using now. And then yeah. there's a Romanization, of course. Um, it's uh, I find that uh, very interesting. I can't really sort of comment so much on the way that you particularly use the Greek script. It's unfortunate that we don't have William on this episode to, to, uh, talk about that, but, uh, it is, it is, um, a very interesting in many ways. So, um, yeah, with the Greek script, I sort of try wanted to try to adapt it in a way that had a lot of flaws in it and as well, just because in my experience with like when I've, seen lots of languages in like indigenous languages of russia for instance where the russians came in and developed scripts for these languages that oftentimes they had lots of very strange flaws and weird quirks resulting from the fact that these scripts were often developed by russian speakers not by native speakers of these languages in question so in in the same way i kind of wanted the alashian script to look to have some of those sorts of flaws and not be a entirely and not entirely have a one-to-one correspondence with the actual pronunciation yeah plus you know when you have um historical changes going on in the language sometimes the script will fit better with an older version of the language than with the current version yeah definitely. um, um one thing i noted very in uh, i found interesting was so you have all these different verb classes or verb scales, you call them that I guess they're different conjugations, right? Um, um yeah, it's a very much a Semitic feature where they're just different vowel and consonant patterns that you can take a single root in and take a single root and Martin? conjugate it in many different patterns to give it slightly different names. Yes. Mm. Okay. No, it's just, um, you dropped out of Skype for a second. Um, so, but the thing that actually caught my eye was you have this section on European loan verbs and Mm -hmm. basically you basically have a sort of somewhat defective, um, 
verb conjugations specifically for loanwords from European languages, not not just the Indo-European, but do you have a lot of uh, Turkish wor- loanwords too? Yeah, I actually really wanted to play around with language contact. Mm-hmm. So, in I sort of tried to create a miniature Sprachbund on Cy- on Cyprus between Cypriot Greek and Alashian. Mm-hmm. And I was also just largely inspired by some of the things that happened in Maltese, which is similar in that it was originally an Arabic dialect that became, but underwent heavy, heavy influence from Italian and from English. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I wanted to do something similar to that, except take it back maybe an extra, th- uh, an extra thousand years back in history. Yeah. I just, I just find it uh, interesting because Verbs often have a lot of issues when they get borrowed just because you tend to mark a lot of different things on verbs. So yeah. it's interesting that you you t- took the time to think of and you uh, even went to the point of, you know, oh, Alashian used to borrow verbs and then uh, by uh, ignoring the vowels and fitting it into one of their Semitic templates. But... Now, but as as things progress and peop- there were more bilinguals, that wasn't uh, feasible anymore. So this this new sort of um, special loanword conjugation for for verbs developed. I like that uh, that particular detail of it. Oh no, Mike, were there any specific things that jumped out at you in this language? Yeah, I was actually. Um, I was gonna keep going, but you jumped in, so I was gonna let you go on with what you were gonna oh, say. Okay. Go but ahead. um, yeah, I was actually gonna try to direct. The, um, you know, in this, you know, um, looking at how you go about doing it, you talked about you uh like to play with language contact and how they evolve like that. Um, so do you start from like? Is there a clear kind of split from one stage of the uh, I guess the the uh, proto language that where the, the history as it is differs from the alt history that your that your language comes from, or how do you like uh, just kind of work with that? It's it's really great. I'd love to hear a little about that. In terms of where the contact, the sort of contact influence actually starts to come into play, or yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I don't, don't have too much um, background in, in the, the Semitic languages, so I'm not sure if the if the conjugations are that different. I'm not even sure if it's necessarily mutually intelligible if someone who speaks one a nat lang, or if the conjugations are similar in mechanic, or if they're similar in phonology, or if they're similar in both or neither. Um, I was just curious about that. Not having any, you know, not knowing the nat langs from which it comes, I'd love to kind of see mm-hmm. how you wove that actual history with your own um, flavor and creation. Mm-hmm. Well, I do go into some. Some of the history or of the um, the development of the morphology and syntax in the history section of the grammar, mm-hmm. where um, mo- most of a lot of the earlier history is very much in line with the other um, Northwest Semitic languages, but mm-hmm. it essentially goes off on its own path. When at one point I don't remember exactly where something like around 700 BC or so when the, mm-hmm. the ancestors of these speakers moved to Cyprus and and there were constantly in contact with Greek with Greeks. 
And mm-hmm. that that's where I guess a lot of the more interesting stuff t- starts to come into play. A lot of the basic morphology is still is still there. It's very much recognizable as Semitic, mm-hmm. but you get a lot a lot more quirks where the Greek influence starts to come into play. It's um, the Greek influence might encourage certain um, certain forms to be lost in favor of something that's more typically Greek. For mm-hmm. for instance, um, Semitic languages are known for things like um, reversed number polarity, where it seems like uh, when you quantify a masculine noun, you use a feminine numeral, and the feminine noun takes mm-hmm. a masculine numeral, whereas mm-hmm. this system was essentially completely trashed in Alashian. Because, especially mm-hmm. from a Greek perspective, it makes absolutely no sense. Uh, yeah. The pronominal system, especially, was very much like, redone along the lines of Cypriot Greek, mm-hmm. where, um, and actually, one, one of my personal favorite developments is that a lot of the um, Semitic object, direct object suffixes were mm-hmm. essentially reanalyzed as, free, as unbound clitic forms that could then move either before or after the verb according to very similar rules as in Cypriot Greek. And which from a Semitic perspective is very much unusual. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do see, um, I'm not, I'm not very uh, familiar with uh, Semitic languages either, but I know some, a few things about them and I notice a few features that obviously you kept from, from the Semitic, you know, the most obvious is you have consonantal root system, but, uh, we just talked about how that, um, that is not all going all the way because of the, the number of loan words, but, um, you have inflecting prepositions, you have, um, both, um, second and third person pronouns are marked for masculine, feminine, uh, that thing. You have, uh, I haven't really, uh, found so you do have gender, you have masculine, feminine, gender, which yeah. is another Semitic thing. Um, so, um, could you talk about, so, but, um, I don't know. I don't have particular things, but, uh, yeah, the, just thinking about, um, are there particular things that you would like point out to us as, um, sort of interesting things. I know you've talked a whole lot about these, um, the, these, these contact effects. Is there like something specific that you might want to sort of drill down as a, a, a real good example of, and sort of go on, on in a little bit more depth as contact effects. Yeah. Um, or, or any sort of interesting feature of the language, but, um, well, I mean, we already touched on one thing that sort of the defective conjugation for European or Indo-European or Turkish roots is mm-hmm. probably one of the most notable features. Um, another thing would be, I guess, a lot of the actual tenses that appear in the language are much more closely in line with Greek. Oh, okay. Um, for instance... I, and this is true in a number of other Semitic languages as well, but the original aspectual system was lost in favor of the tense space system. Um, it, there are, there's a new 
uh, perfect series of uh, perfect and a pluperfect forms similar to Greek, except where Greek used their verb for to have to just like in English to form perfects. Uh, since a lot of uh, Semitic languages don't have that, it, what ended up happening was sort of an interesting reanalysis of their the traditional Semitic construction, which is to ex- express possession, which is something like at me there is a book mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have in sort of an interesting series of uh, reanalysis where you start with a construction like at me there is a written book, which is ultimately used to form a new perfect that to I've written a book that is essentially a translation of the Greek the Greek form, except using a completely different possessive construction, if that makes any sense. Oh, wow, that's interesting. Yeah, looking at the the verbs, um, the verb conjugations, I can see that there that the whole pattern is very sort of looks like a very European pattern. But this that's a real. I really like. Um, this is one of those. Cases where where William would say grammar's born hungry, so you t- ended up reanalyzing something completely different uh, in order to sort of approximately calc what was in Greek, and in order to show that influence, that's that's a, that's a really um, interesting idea to, to uh, run with. Um, another example that I just from I was just reminded of is the Alashian imperfect tense. Mm-hmm. Which just expresses like, ongoing action in the past, which other Semitic languages don't really have a close equivalent of. And this was essentially what was originally a sep- an entirely separate conjugation that was still appears in most other Semitic languages that ex- often express things like iteration. And it was its past tense was essentially cannibalized mm-hmm. to form a new imperfect tense with, I guess, sort of the rest of the conjugation being thrown out. Uh, I notice, um, as you had with uh, Novogradian, you have a very good dictionary that gives etymologies for all of your uh, words as well. Um, You know, just randomly looking at it, I see, you know, you end up with... uh, Most of the ones that I've just randomly clicked on actually are are Greek loanwords, but some of them I see... um, from a, a Semitic root, um, that's uh, I I I do like the way that you do your dictionary with this like searchable dictionary with the uh, the words, and you clearly know what you're doing as far as um, as making words that are not relaxing anything. Um, uh, that that seems like sort of the obvious thing you, that you need to do but we always want to uh to we we have a lot of people who listen to the show that are newer conlangers that we always want to show people uh what a good dictionary looks like yeah for alashian this actually was a lot more difficult for me than for Novogradian, for instance mm-hmm. because with, when i was trying to come up with something slavic i already had the background the fact that i speak russian Oh, okay. Uh, for, which provides a lot more intuition in terms of, I guess, what sounds right and what mm-hmm. what sorts of idioms I can make up that, I guess, sort of sound reasonable to me. 
Whereas with Semitic, which I, I don't speak any Semitic language natively, it's, and I don't speak Greek natively either. It's a lot more difficult to sort of try to get, get the right sense of words and to figure out what, how exactly they're used and whether they might be a reasonable candidate for mm. bar, for think, borrowing and things like that. It sounds like it's sort of a thing where, um, you needed to do a whole lot more research. You did. Both of them are very well researched in the first place, but you may have had to do a little bit more research on the Lashian just in terms of getting the, the meanings of words and idioms and stuff right than you did with Novogradian, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'd agree with that. Mm hmm. Um, but it's interesting. Oh, this is, I just randomly picked up this word, uh, riek. Um, it means dowry, endowment, or grant. Just the fact that dowry is, along with endowment and grant, is an interesting, seems like an interesting bit of trivia to me, sorry. <laughs> just, uh, and it's from, uh, Greek root, preaker. Um, <clears throat> So, um, to revisit a question I mentioned earlier, and maybe you speaking, um, the Novogradian and having, and speaking Russian, how, uh, mutually intelligible is the conlang with the language that it comes from? Like, would someone, would a Russian speaker understand Novogradian, or would a Semitic language speaker understand a spoken, uh, Alashian? Um, a large part of that probably really depends on register. Mm-hmm. The, um, in the case of, Alashian, I would say that, especially in a, in a much more form, in a much more, in older texts, like a, maybe a, mm-hmm. a religious register, for instance, which tend to be much more conservative, that might be mm-hmm. much more intelligible with s- some other Semitic languages. Although, even then, I feel like a lot of the pronunciation is different enough that it might be tricky to pick out a lot other than maybe recognizing a few cognates every now and then. Mm-hmm. And and especially since I still have Greek as sort of the dominant language on Cyprus in this history, um, mm-hmm. it means that in a lot of a lot of the time, there's lots of extra Greek loan words thrown in all over the place that you don't see in other Semitic languages. That would ultimately just make comprehension a lot more difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually tried to give a, mm-hmm. I actually tried to give a small example of this in the appendix to the grammar. Uh, two sample mm-hmm. texts, one with a uh, huge amount of Greek loan words, where I think almost the majority of the nouns and verbs actually come from Greek, and another mm-hmm. that is very conservative Semitic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, very nice. That's uh, interesting. Um, so you said that the Alashians came to Cyprus at what time would, would it be? Um, I don't remember exactly when I said, but it was sometime in the first millennium BC. Okay, first millennium BC. So, well, that takes care of my question immediately <laughs> because I was thinking that then that would be far, far pre-Islamic. So, um, yes. <laughs> so the, obviously there would be no real, um, I mean, uh, there could be contact with Arabic speaking people, but it would be far, far away from being any, having any influence from classical, classical Arabic. Um, there's a little bit, but not a great deal. It's mostly mm-hmm. from the time when I guess the Arabs did rule over Cyprus and much as well as much of the rest of the territory. But 
but yeah, it's not nearly as pronounced. Yeah. Did you do much development of what Alashian culture is? Like, what, how, what, how are they made up, uh, sort of religiously? Do, do you have any sort of ideas about what, about certain cultural customs, anything like that? Honestly, I haven't done a huge amount. There were a few things I did definitely have to, I felt like I needed to decide. For instance, I did make them, uh, Greek Orthodox Christian, mm-hmm. especially because historically that would, their religious alignment would have a huge influence on how the language developed. Yeah. But and, it would that, be much more Greek focused or much Arab focused. Yeah, yeah, it makes, and it makes sense for the area too and the time frame. Uh, uh, so, but any other specific things that you picked out or just, it, it, it's mostly things that, affected how you would construct language, I am understanding then? Yeah, for the most part. Right? I guess with Novogradian, I did put in quite a bit more focus on the culture, whereas I haven't gotten to that yet. With mm-hmm. I might I might do a lot more of that at some point, but with my interest here was, I guess, sort of first and foremost, the language, and I created, I guess, the, the, the scaffolding, cultural scaffolding I needed. Mm-hmm. But went into uh, into detail. I don't think I have any more really direct questions. Um, Mike, did you have any th- any final things that you wanted to ask Martin about? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's tough to really tease it apart because I, you know, part of me would love to actually sign up for a course in, in uh, Alaska, and it's just really, really, um, it's a very full, very rich language I see so far, and. I yeah. don't want, you know, I don't want to take up your time in basically teaching it on, um, you know, on this. And so I'm trying to pick out the questions that are more directed towards the conlangers and not the language learner. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, and I think part of it, me not knowing where the, you know, uh, the conlang starts and where the coming from, um, you know, the, the natlang Semitic and uh, having those natlang connections ends is uh it just speaks great volumes of how how you know how well you've done this uh combine so uh, to answer the question that you asked george sorry um you know i i have other questions but they're not really based on the combine they're more based on perspective from a language learner so uh just um short answer is that's all for the combine based questions uh like xyz yeah would you consider <laughs> martin making lessons for your languages because both Alashian and Novogradian look much, very much complete enough for you to, for somebody to actually learn them and use them. So I'm just a, a curiosity. I know, you know, different conlangers have different uh, ideas relating to people wanting to learn their languages. I'm just curious as to, as to what your feelings about that would be. I've considered it at times, especially for Nebogradian, which I've, has been around quite a bit longer than Amashian has at this point. But I guess ultimately it comes down to, do I really have the time it takes to dedicate to creating a good system of lessons? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I think we're, we can sort of go towards sort of wrapping up the, the discussion of the language a little bit, but, um, I want to give you one last opportunity just to bring up any 
like little thing that you may want to draw our attention towards if you have anything. But uh Well, I mean, ultimately I'm personally a very big historical linguistics buff. That's it that's the one single area in I guess in linguistics that interests me more than anything else and so that I dedicate the most time in terms of re- researching and just trying to come up with something uh, realistic. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess I, I really enjoyed the writing, the history, the this historical section of the graph where it oh, goes okay. into all of the, like phonological and morphological development of a language through history. And I, I really want to come back to this and add in more and more detail constantly. It's just, this is, I guess the one section that I, I can, for anything that I've done, I can never keep my hands off of. I always want to go back and add some other little quirks here and there and things like that. Yeah. That's the, that's understandable. Um, I'm looking at the history section. It this is probably most where, uh, like Mike was saying, you run into the the uh, the um, sort of gray area between real linguistics and um, <laughs> and fictional linguistics because, like right here, you have things that are going on. You go all the way from uh, Proto-Semitic, which is of course you know an actually. Uh, well, it's a reconstructed proto-lang, but, um, and some real changes that occurred not just in Alashian, but also in Arabic and other, um, other Semitic languages. Yeah, to some and, extent, I kind of try to make the, the history section somewhat educational, actually compiling some of the information from various books about what these actual proto-languages were like. But at the same time, it sometimes becomes difficult to be able to actually, I guess, convey to anyone who's reading what what parts are actually real and which ones I've played around with. Yeah, but you know that's part of the conlanging bit. Yeah, uh, uh, I, I understand that. You know, if you're going to write your grammar in a consistent style, that's going to happen with a language like this that's a posteriori and having and having like a well-developed sort of historical thing. So with that, with that said, I think um, we can move on to uh, feedback uh, if nobody really objects to that. Um, no, yeah, I'm, I'm doing fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm every, I'm looking through the last year and, you know, I'm, Seems like every page I turn, so to speak, I'm just like wow, and I look up a little more. So I'm really, um, I'm happy for everything that we've heard, that we've heard, and you know, I'm really looking forward to maybe learning a little bit more about how it works. And um, you know, I've always wanted to do um, a comment based on that Semitic consonantal root system. I just never really know how to implement it because I've never, like I said, never studied Semitic languages. But, um, this is very digestible, and it looks like a very uh, Exemplary yeah. um, comment does just that. Yeah. Um, so for feedback today, I um, for some way we're we're way behind on the feedback. This came in on like October seventeenth, but uh, Carrie wrote in and said, "Hello, thanks for doing the podcast. For some reason, I just comprehend things better orally than read. Have we done this one before? 
Wait a minute. Mike? Um, I don't, I don't recall, but... I don't think so. I've only been... A- I've only been around since 42, so unless it was before that. And we're no, it wasn't before that. But mm. anyway, so let me start start back. For some reason, I just comprehend things better orally than read. So it's been very useful to me. I'm not a linguist. I'm a writer who's just trying to make something that doesn't make linguists grind their teeth. I created a language to go with a culture I created for a story way back when I was 12 to 13, long after... I'd ever been heard, I've ever heard of conlanging, uh, this awful story about horrible gobs of, with hor, was pure cheese with horrible gobs of angst and a cast of Mary Sue's. But hey, I was 12. Uh, yeah, we, we've all been there. Um, I threw most of it out a long time ago, but your podcast encouraged me to give it, well, not that exactly, another try. Uh, minus the angst, characters, and almost everything else. Uh, doing it right, uh, with some actual knowledge. Thanks for that. And he said, and, uh, she said, I think it's a she. How about a podcast on pigeons? I've been studying Latin and have a yen to settle the ninth legion somewhere unlikely. <laughs> well, pigeons, there's another person who's, who's asked about, uh, pigeons and creoles. I don't have a whole lot of experience doing language contact in general, but um, it would be an interesting uh, topic to to go. But I think both pigeons and creoles in in one episode, maybe. Um, what do you think, Mike? Pigeons. Um, I haven't studied uh, uh, Latin myself, but. Um, <laughs> So, you know, well, it doesn't uh, have to be. It, with, I mean, pigeons can be, I think, a lot of pigeons that you hear about and creoles that you hear about, um, in the real world often have English as one of the participating languages. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting, um, if, you know, we could find some conlangs, uh, that did that, unless we did a, a natlang focused one and focused on some natlang examples of pigeon and creole. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure if there's one person thinking about this, I mean, I've, I've thought about trying to splice together natlangs and maybe with conlangs that I've pieced together in the past. So, um, you know, I think that that sounds doable. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Martin, you said, what do you think about pigeons mm-hmm. since you, you have such, so much language contact going on in Alashian, even though it's not really like a creole or anything? It's... I mean, that would be interesting to see. I- off the top of my head, I can't actually think of any examples of conlangs that go the pigeon route. No, I don't think so either. I don't think a lot of people do it. I think probably a lot of people are sort of put off of it in that either the one you have to use two real world languages and you have to study those a lot, or you're going to have to make two different languages and put, then put them together. So that that's it's sort of a, an extra bit of pro- process that you have to do, go through, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, thank you very much for your email, Carrie. And uh, those go to conlary at gmail dot com. Uh, and I want to put out a little thing. Uh, I really, really need more of those top of the show greetings in your conlang. 
on the contribute page on the website that'll sh- tell you all the details of uh, what precisely you're supposed to translate and, and how to submit that. But uh, um, those were are running low. In fact, I don't know if we actually have one ready right now. But um, and um, that's it pretty much. Um, I think we can move on. Uh, so Martin, every week I always ask my hosts and any guests for sort of final words of wisdom. What are so something sort of, you can say pretty, uh, pretty succinctly that you, you think other, um, conlangers should th- think about or, um, be, uh, be pondering. So, uh, what are your final words of wisdom, Martin? Um, well, to at, at least those sorts of people who love the, the a posteriori routes that I, mm-hmm. that I spend so much time on. A- absolutely read everything you can. It's, it's hard to, it's, I mean, it's hard to stress that enough. I just love reading about historical linguistics and all of the relevant and all of the different languages I come to that come together for these things all the contact there's just so much interesting material out there and so much to be inspired by mm-hmm. yeah I think I can second that and even even for a priori conlangers like me research will still add depth to your knowledge and your ability to uh, employ certain things oh yeah definitely yeah. Uh, so, uh, Mike, what are your final words of wisdom? <laughs> That's. Uh, I. I think I. Said a very very good one. Without anything. Uh, with anything else, yeah. Read all you can, learn all you can, and try things. And uh, you know, if you look like sponge, you can learn things all over. And there's so much to learn. The more you learn, the more you realize you can learn. So. Okay. And with that, I'm going to say happy conlining. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. You can send questions, comments, or topic or featured language suggestions to conlangery at gmail.com. To submit a Conlang or Natlang greeting for the top of the show, see our contribute page for details. Web space for Conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our theme music is by Null Device. <laughs>